Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Daybreak, the show where fun ideas and occupations come to life. We're your hosts, Bryn Campbell and Pippa Schrader, and today we'll share an inspirational quote, interview Lisa Fleming, a jeweler and small business owner, then after the announcement break, we will end this episode with a new story of how you can let it all out and get your scream broadcasted live in Iceland. Now, let's get on with the show. It is now time for our weekly quote to inspire you and get you thinking. This week, our quote is from James R. Cook. He said, Do just once what others say you can't do, and you will never pay attention to their limitations again. That was one inspiring quote, and I think the message is very true. What do you think the message is? Keep thinking while we listen to Pippa interview Lisa Fleming, the owner of a small jewelry business. Pippa, take it away. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Pippa. How's it going this morning? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, so we'll get started with our questions for you. So how did you choose this profession? Was there anything or anyone that inspired you? You know, that is a really good question. And, um, you know, I started out doing many other things. Ending up doing this full time has been a journey. It wasn't as though I chose it. Um, I did marine mammal research in Baja for many years. I managed a sea kayaking company for many years. I guided sea kayaking and whale watching trips for many years. And I think along the journey, I've really been inspired by nature the outdoors, sand between my toes. (laughs) And that has really sculpted who I am, which then sculpts what I create. So I remember back in Baja when we had to be sitting on the beach waiting out a storm because we couldn't go out to look for whales or whatever. Yeah. That, you know, shells and driftwood and not that there's really driftwood down there because, you know, desert. But... um, (laughs) I would collect those and I would just make things on my downtime. That's really how it started. It was collecting shells and things like that and creating them, jewelry from them. Um, It was always on my side, though, through all the the different things that I've done. It's always been something I did on the side. And so I would say I was inspired. Well, I guess I always had a need to be creative. Um, That was just something that was in me. And I found an outlet, an easy outlet, just in the downtime because I'm not one to sit. I can't really just sit and do nothing. Yeah. Um, although sitting and looking for rocks, I can do for hours on the beach. Mm. There you go. <laughs> I would also say that my mom was just so supportive of me doing whatever, just as long as I was happy. And I think uh, that probably led me to where I am too. I don't know. It's weird because, you know, when you own, I'm probably answering other questions now, Pip, I hope that's okay. Um, but when, when you have your own business, I mean, not only am I a jewelry artist and I design jewelry, and, yeah. um, but I am also, I own a gallery. And so there's a lot mm-hmm. of things along with that. There's a lot of business things. So, you know, not only do I do the accounting, but I also clean toilets and <laughs> I have to deal with um, issues that happen. I have to fix things and I have to clean and I have to uh, do the social media and the advertising. So it's when you when you're uh, when you have your own small business. There's many many hats that we wear, 
or gloves or Bowens, depending on what you like. <laughs> so I feel like I have so many influences from all over mm-hmm. that have just mm-hmm. gotten me to where I am. Because if I hadn't done yeah. all the things I've done, if I hadn't cried, if I hadn't had sad things happen, if I hadn't had joyous adventures, I would not be creating the jewelry like I'm creating right now because everything has influenced that. So it's been this weird journey. Four years ago, I opened my gallery. Five years ago, my mom died. And so part, I think, of my opening the ju- the gallery and actually focusing full-time on my art had, was a, a way that I could grieve because I really feel like I can uh, chart, channel my mom through my work. I can think about my mom. I have a picture of my gallery, so I look up at her every now and again. And... Um, and, and she is helping me or I'm trying to make her proud or I don't know what it is, but uh, it's just, it, I don't know if there's any one thing, there's many parts, but Baja was definitely a big part of it and being outdoors and being able to use nature as my inspiration. And that was a long drawn out answer. <laughs> no, but it was really interesting what you said about your mom and how that inspired you and also like um, your trips to Baja, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. So, um, switching to more of your jeweler side, what is the hardest kind of jewelry for you to make? Yeah, I think every person you talk to is going to have a different answer to that. Yeah, yeah. My, I love challenging myself. And so because of that, I take lots of different classes to learn lots of different techniques and just learn even a similar technique that I already do in a different way from somebody else. Mm -hmm. Think about going to do that is, you know, I feel like, I'm never going to not have anything to learn. So I'm never done, which is really cool. For me, my challenge are the faceted weird shaped stones. So marquees, which are uh, diamond shapes. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, those are hard for me. And a lot of it is, is because I'm lucky enough to have people bring my jewelry to old, older jewelry. That's really important to them, to me to redo into something that they might wear. Yeah. So that my, a sister's or a mother's or a grandma's ring and I try to take those and combine them into something that they might wear now so I love doing that and that's a real challenge just to try and get all the elements that they want in a way that is a piece that's not going to break or hook on things Mm -hmm. Um, but for me the weird shaped stones like marquees like those are sometimes I'm like help wish I could just do that help I need help because those those are almost those are really those are are difficult for me yeah 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 and also just like sort of adding on to that, like how do you find your um, beautiful like stones that you set into your pieces? Well, I have a couple people that are my main suppliers. I mean, besides being able to pick up stones along the shores of Lake yeah. Superior, I'm never not looking down. So I'm always picking things up. <laughs> uh, but I have a couple people, one in Superior, Bob Wright, he's an amazing uh, cabber mm-hmm. and he does. He looks for cool uh, native stones to Lake Superior and he caps them up, which means he, he will make them into what I can set. So it's domed on the top and flat on the bottom. And then I can set them. So I buy them from him. Um, Gary Wilson is another guy that I get them from. He lives in Tucson now, but grew up oh. or is from um, Michigan. And his yeah. son in law a rock shop in, uh, in Michigan now. And so those are my main two suppliers, but I will also go to different events and shows. Um, of course, can't do that now with COVID. So yeah. luckily I have a little problem with buying stones. So I have a lot of them <laughs> actually fine. It's probably good in a way that I haven't purchased them in a while because really I don't need any. Well, 
How can you say, though, that you don't need more stones? Yeah, I don't think you could say that. So, <laughs> but the thing about the, the cabs that I purchased, yeah, yeah. I need to see them in person. Mm-hmm. So, I don't like to order them online unless it's the little, like, little tiny diamonds or little, you know, like rainbow moonstones that are all calibrated five millimeter or four millimeter. Those, if I have a reputable source, I feel confident. But if, when, I, when I purchase stones that I want to, yeah into jewelry uh, then I need to see them in my hand so of course right now that's hard uh, oh there's one more uh, Kent in um, in Keweenaw in Upper Michigan he okay. will act and Carrie will also send me pick boxes so they'll send me a box of stones that they know I might like I'll pick through them send what I don't want back with a check so that's how it works too so it's great because you you have a, a good rapport you have trust within your industry and you have people looking out that hey I think she'd like this stone so I like the weird stones in around our area too that you, you don't really see very often. And so that's Ken and especially uh, Bob are really good at helping me get those stones. So how do you make a necklace um, in the studio? What's the process? Oh boy, that's, it's, you know what? I would love you to come into the studio one day and film me doing that oh because yeah. there's many steps and people don't realize that. If you could visualize here, so I have a, I have a, a cab, a stone. Yeah, yeah. And Stone I picked up on the beach, so it's an oval black piece of basalt. So what I will do is take bezel wire, which is flattened wire, um, in, and I get it in rolls, mm-hmm. and I actually do measure that around the edge of the stone, and that's going to be the thing that you'll fold over the top of the stone so it stays in. So that's the first yeah. step, bezel. I have to solder that together so it becomes a circle or whatever the shape is of the stone. Mm-hmm. I have to file that and make it nice and flat, and I can uh, solder that onto some sort of a back piece. And I use sterling silver, so it'd be a sterling silver back piece. So then I have to solder the bezel onto the back piece. And then from there, I will do my texturing or my adding things or, you know, put other little cabs on or whatever I'm going to do. Last step is to put on a bale. The bale is what the piece of cording or the chain goes through. Um, I clean that up really well. Mm-hmm. I petite and I make it darker using river of sulfur. Um, if I want to do that, I like to do that a lot because of textures, you can see textures better. And I really like it to look like where it's, you know, like if it's a pebble on a beach, I kind of try and make it look like it's a pebble in the background, just so it all comes together. Um, but then after that, you set the stone. That's the very last thing you do because you, once you have a stone set in your pendant or in your mm-hmm. piece, Get heat anymore because the heat will break the stone. So the thing that takes the longest is actually thinking of the idea. And sometimes I'll have a bunch of those cabs, the cabochons, lined up on my bench, just waiting. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, I know what to do. And maybe that's my mom telling me. I don't know. But <laughs> so that that's generally how it works. But I'd love you to come in. Oh, and then you have to put the chain on. You have to figure out how you want yeah, to do yeah. the chain. So that would be a set. That would be a stone that's set. So what is the best piece of jewelry you've made? I don't know if I can say I have a best piece. I have favorite pieces. Mm. Well, I guess there's two categories. One would be it's it's someone has trusted me with um, a, a family heirloom or a yeah. family rock. For me to create something as a as a remembrance of that, I feel really honored. 
people ask me to do that. Yeah. Now, now, funny enough, your mom, who helps me with my graphic design, <laughs> she helped me do, uh, you know, takes or um, lay out something so that I could be describing to people one of these events that happened that I just re recall. And that was that there was, they had a family camp, uh, cabin and there was a really hot fire there. So everything burned to the ground. But oh, no. the that they had, they all yeah. melted together with the high, high heat. And yeah. so what was left after the fire were these big chunks of uh, like glass. And so what this, uh, the, the, um, the granddaughter, the doc, the granddaughter of the, of the original owner of the cabin. Mm -hmm. So this is generations, right. Um, brought me this chunk in and asked me to make something with it as a remembrance of that time that they had in the cabin. And so Bob, who's my go-to guy for this, Bob, right. Yeah. And he doesn't do this very often, but when it's a really special piece, he took it and he made some caps from that hunk of glass. And then I set the, the piece that we chose into a ring for her and included her um, birthstone on it. So that was, those are, those are the kind of pieces that I love and I'm so honored to make. Um, I would say that the, I have a really neat piece right now in my gallery that I made using Wasson Moonstone, which Ooh. is a type of moonstone that not a lot of people know about. Mm -hmm. um, actually, a, a vein of it in Wausau, Wisconsin, on private land, although Ooh. some people say that they have figured out a place where it is on public land, but of course nobody shares that information, and that's fine. Um, but uh, Bob is my supplier of that, and he gave me, you know, he cut a bunch of cabs for me, and um, well, I have a piece that I just finished that has that big piece on it. And I'll send you a picture of that so you can see. Um, it has that piece with some beautiful, um, some castings yeah. of bird branches that I made. Oh. So it's really neat and organic and kind of yeah. purpley. So, I mean, it, and then of course, copper replacement agate. Those are my favorite stones to set. And those are from the, up in the Keweenaw Peninsula going up into Lake Superior. Um, there's just a very, very unique agate that you don't see very much. Mm -hmm. So I'm, how can I say my, I don't know. I Sometimes it's hard to say goodbye and I have to have a little, I'm like, okay, have a good trip wherever you're going. Have fun in California, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I there there I have some favorite pieces. Yeah, yeah. The really, really favorite ones I sometimes I'll keep for a while. And then after a while, I maybe it's time for them to go. I don't know. Uh, but they, uh, each little piece speaks to me. And generally I'm thinking, you know, I have to be in the right mindset to be able to make the piece. Cause I just try and put some really good energy into everything that I'm making. Um, and I'm just, I, again, I mean, I'm honored when people bring in, um, jewelry for me to recreate, yeah. but I'm all when people just come in and like my jewelry and they walk out with it and they buy it, you know, and then I see it on someone's neck later and I'm like, Hey, love your pendant. That's really cool. So, yeah. How has COVID-19 affected your life and your business? And this is a big question, so. <laughs> it, um, it's been, it's been pretty hard. Um, I live alone, so it's been pretty isolating. I mean, luckily where I live, we are in a, you know, we've got lots of open space. So especially when it was still in the early days, it was very easy to get outside and, you know, it even walk with friends, but distanced. Um, uh, but as far as, so, I mean, being up here, it's been, it's been easier, I think, than people who live in small, in cities where you are side to side with your neighbors. Yeah. You can't really find any distance here. We have open spaces. And of course that speaks a lot to the outdoors too, and being able to go out and rejuvenate and, uh, 
and be safe outside, but yeah. uh, be, you know, not be lonely because you have a tree as a neighbor, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but as far as my business goes, um, and I know you know this, Pippa, because you are uh, one of my awesome helpers at <laughs> down in Madison or in Madison because that's where you are. Uh, but I got down to Madison on March 12th to set up for Canoe Copia. That's my biggest show of the year. And it's probably about 30% of my income. And I set up and then I went outside and I found my really good friend, Darren. And he was just cut up so just sad. And he had decided that he had to call the show. Um, and it was super emotional, of course, another family-owned business. Yeah being hit by this. So when it, when all of this started, I was already 30% down for this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, is I got to go to my sister's house for a couple nights and regroup and started some other things to try and get some income to make yeah. up for it. Um, your mom helped me with that too. And mm-hmm. your mom is off. Yes. And, uh, and you are too. Thank and, you. <laughs> um, so, you know, had to get creative quickly and your mom really helped me do that because I was kind of like, what am I going to do? I felt nauseous and couldn't sleep for a while. Um, and so that, you know, so that happened. So I started out 30% down, had to create, get creative with trying, getting things going on my website a little better because of course I'd rather be making jewelry than working on my website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then then it's just been the figuring out of how to open in a safe way when we could open. So I was able to open the Friday of Memorial day, um, but very smaller hours and lots of uh, um, safety precautions in place, you know, the um, plexiglass and masks and hand sanitizer and cleaning a lot and only having a certain amount of people in my shop. So because of that, of course, there is some conflict between people because some people feel that um, wearing a mask is taking away their freedom and their rights. Um, and you know, I, you know, you have to, you have to be open to other people's opinions. Um, but at the same time, sometimes those p- opinions seem to be very, very self-serving, self-centered. Um, when I think about the choices I made to be able to reopen my gallery. I was basing it on my health of myself and my apprentice, um, um, but also the customers coming in. But I'm also thinking of my whole community because mm. we have two blocks in Bayfield um, where we have, you know, shops. Yeah. If somebody in our community gets sick and one of those shops has to shut down, then first of all, that opens up a scare for people coming to Bayfield thinking, oh my gosh, there's COVID, you know, there's, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of who aren't reading and figuring out who's saying what, when, and what is actually factual. Uh, And that goes with anything. That's just the way it is. Unfortunately, this has become very divisive and there are cruel people that come in and say inappropriate things in our shops. Um, There are people who, um, you know, are walking down the street with masks on and yelling things that they shouldn't be yelling that aren't kind to people not wearing masks. So there's all kinds of divisiveness, which I don't like, I don't like it because I feel like if you can think about just the community, I mean, I think in the end, we want everybody to be safe. Everybody it doesn't matter if you're wearing a mask or if you're not wearing a mask. 
Um, but if I can do one little tiny small thing to be assured that I'm going to stay safe and healthy so that I, my business can remain open and my neighbor's businesses can stay open, I'm going to wear a mask. Yeah. I'm going to do all the protocols. I'm going to wash, clean everything. I'm going to wear, I'm going to use hand sanitizer. And when people are coming in and making comments that about masks, I'm like, hey, I'm being selfish. I don't want my business to close because if my business closes, then I'm going to have to shut down the gallery and it will not be open. Yeah. So I, you know, I mean, I guess when you have, um, when you have your job in it, there's always a little bit of politics, but really that's the bottom line. I want to be safe. I want my employee who is Morgan, she's awesome, to be safe. I don't want her to bring anything home to her grandpa because she lives with her grandpa and her dad. Um, and I want my neighbors to stay open. It's just, it seems so logical to me. And it's really unfortunate that people can be so self-serving and cruel in their response. If you should hear some of the stories that other fellow um, store mates here along my block, have, the stories that people have had with people coming up and yelling at them. I mean, it's pretty horrible. You know, some people are scared off when a, a COVID hits, right? Our little town has had a, has uh, gone up three times in the last couple of weeks because of, because of some unfortunate events of people gathering that um, made, made a, maybe made a bad decision about that. Um, and uh, when that happens, and so the media then, of course, plays it up that, you know, that it's gone up three times, but, you know, we started with three and now we're up to 15, um, which is too many for our little town, of course. One death, four recoveries, and the rest are being monitored. Um, and, uh, but that puts out a negative, people don't want to come where there's COVID. They're coming up here because they want to escape and they're all free, but at the same time, they're bringing whatever they have with them up here. So there's all kinds of weird things. So that's why wear a mask. Let's just protect each other. Hello, try and help my business stay open so I don't have to close and move and sell everything and buy an adventure van and go traveling all over the country. Cause that's, <laughs> if I don't make it, that's what I'm going to do, I think. Yeah. I have to say, I think it'd be really great if your business stays open, but bring me along if for some reason you have to go traveling somewhere because I don't, okay. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, after this is all over, of course, but, um, <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, it's just, it is really important to wear a mask and to stay safe, um, especially in this time, and keep businesses like yours open, which is, that's really important. So yeah, sort of I, going, mm? I totally agree, and I wish that um, everybody had that mindset, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so, yeah, we could go on and on about that. Yeah, but. definitely. But um, to shift to a different part, this is a little okay. farther back. Um, so tell me a little bit about your early job as a tour guide in the Bajas. What was that like? Well, I explained to you a little bit of how I began with, with, with my time in Baja. I actually lived in Baja for probably 20 plus years. I first went there in 1990 as a student mm -hmm. studying mammals and cultural ecology and desert biomes. So yeah. I'm actually, a, I'm a biologist and with a creative side. And I went, uh, and I didn't know when I went that I would end up there for such a long period of time. So I actually, after my abroad program, because that was with, through school, 
I um, actually got invited back to go and work for the same program. Um, and I worked for a, a school, Boston College was where they got credits from, um, down in Baja for, I think, it was seven semesters. Yeah. So, of course, that totally shapes who you are when you're in your low 20s. You know, I learned Spanish. I learned to drive an outboard, or a skiff with an outboard motor. I uh, got a little bit more understanding to, about a living as the very, I was the very, I, they called me the gringa, cuera. They called me light-skinned, light-skinned and light-haired cuera. Um, not in a, I never took it in a cruel way, but uh, that just means lighter colored. And in a place where, you know, the students were English speaking, but everything else about our community was was all Spanish speaking and all Spanish and, and that. So I learned Spanish, picked it up on the fly uh, with the people I worked with. Um, so that's how it started with, with that school. And then I started kayaking a little bit. Boy, was I a horrible kayaker to begin with. But I knew things about the islands yeah. that... The guides that I just go hang out on trips with didn't know just because of all the research I'd done. And I learned that I was pretty good talking to people and reading people. Um, I think I got that from my mom. Uh, and uh, so that was a great combination because those are the things sometimes you can't teach people. Um, you can teach them how to deal with situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, and you can also you can teach me how to kayak. So eventually I had a little better kayaking. And so I started working for a sea kayaking company down there. And I actually helped to start... Uh, living or uh, no, that's the one up here. Uh, sea and Adventures, kayakbaja.com, Mad um, y Aventuras. So I worked for them for a really long time, and I actually started out kind of in the land based. So I would help organize things, and then was also guiding because it was all just starting. So that was a really great opportunity to use my um, my organizational logistical skills, of course, which has all helped me now with my own business because. Uh, I have to do that every day with my own business. So it's kind of yeah. neat how things I learned in Baja and putting toward use now. Um, but Baja changes you. I mean, it is such a different place. I spent a lot of times out in the islands, Espiritu Santo. Um, there's a little archipelago there that had a bunch of like six little islands. Sea kayaking, whale watching, uh, sharing the magic of Baja and the magic of the outdoors with people through uh, kayaking, hiking, snorkeling. Um, Also, you know, the whale watching side, I have a little, I love whales. Actually, I need to see, I have more late whales on my list. I need to see whales. But anyway, back to Baja. So Baja really changed me. It's very, very different than up here with the fresh water and the green, living in a desert for that long and in a different culture for that long. It can't help but uh, change who you are. Um, I met some amazing people who I'm still friends with. They've changed who I am and um, becoming a little, the little Guerra sister to a lot of those guys, um, even though I'm older than them. <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it was an honor. You learn a lot. And um, yeah, yeah, it was a really, really fun time down there doing that. I met some amazing people. So what is Baja like? Like, what does it look like? <laughs> so in the towns, it's similar, right? But in in when you get out into nature, instead of being green and lush like the Midwest with snow, uh, it was a, it's a desert. It's part of the Sonoran Desert, and so cactus and yuccas and um, uh, an environment that depends on rain. And rain is not there's not a lot of rain, so the seasons rely on. They're very cyclic depending on what the rain is. So 
Um, a lot of the plants have these cool adaptations so that they get rain and boom, quick, let's reproduce, flowers, go. And so, you know, it's usually big, the big seasons happen as greening up happens after hurricane season or, um, or the, the rainy season. Um, and so very, very different that way. Lots of different species of birds. Um, obviously, saltwater, whales, sea lions, sea turtles. You don't have that in the freshwater lakes, although sometimes I imagine that I see a dolphin jumping. So it's very, very different that way. Rattlesnakes, scorpions, all uh, animals that you're really lucky to see. Uh, that's down kind of in the Baja area. It's where the where the desert meets the sea is what, it, what some of the taglines are for that. It, it is a really, really special, unique place. Um, wildlife, fish, very, very different than up here. And I love to be able to take people there to show, because it's so magical. It really is, you just, it's unbelievable. And the people are so wonderful and kind. So um, one of our last questions is, would you recommend this job to other people? Well, yes, of course. For those people who are very self-motivated, who can wear lots of hats, who can juggle lots of things, um, I would say it's an awesome job. I love it. I love being my own boss. I love on a really good snow day in winter, I could put a note on the gallery door that says, oh, I got to go skiing with my dog. See you tomorrow. Because <laughs> sometimes you have to do that. Right now, I'm not doing that so much just because I it's it's kind of a weird year anyway yeah, with people coming. Back um, but uh, yes, but self-direction is key. Um, I remember one... And really being confident. Yeah. I, yeah. Met, I had, let's see, I was trying to get some grants or some money from some organization here in town to try and help me begin my business. And I sent them all the stuff they needed and they came back and said, oh, well, we don't have the, you know, they just kept asking me for more and things and more things and, and making it very difficult for me to get some money so I could try and, you know, help me yeah. doing it. Yeah. And I just said, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. Obviously, you're not really excited about helping me out here. So let's play any games anymore. And so I said to the guy, I'm like, so when you come back here in a few years and you see how successful I am, you're going to be really sorry that you weren't a part of this. Hmm. And it was true. They came back in and they were like, wow, this is really pretty successful. And I said, yeah, it is. And I did it all myself. Damn. <laughs> I ran out my credit cards. Uh, you know, I finally got a revolving loan with the bank so that in hard times I can tap into that. Of course, this year is different. This is a very hard year. So I really have just cut spending everywhere and um, no new stones. Oh, not that I need any new stones, but. <laughs> you can never have enough stones. Okay. So what is your definition of success? Well, I've been thinking about that one, you know, and I even looked, I went, I goggled it. I Googled it, you know, and, and a lot of questions came up with financially successful, blah, blah, blah. And to me, that's really not it. To me, success is, first of all, being in a place where I feel happy and yeah. confident. Mm -hmm. It is also a place where I can be respected in my community and I'm respected mm -hmm. from heart. Um, it's also that I can live on I could have my mom live on through me so that 
all her amazing attributes that she gave me or tried to give me, her kindness, <laughs> all that, that I can hopefully make her proud of me in doing um, and where I'm going. And so that, that to me is successful. And if I can do that in a way that I can support my community as well, I think that's, it's, it's really important because it's really just, it's not just me that's having a, a hard time on main street this year. There's lots of businesses that are struggling right now because yeah. people are scared to come up because of COVID or, um, we have to have regulations about how many people in your store. So I have way less people coming in just because people don't want to be patient and wait. Um, cause my store is less than 300 square feet. It's very, very small, but I have some great followers. I have some great support. It's just amazing. The outpouring from community coming in and purchasing things from me. And, um, so I can move forward. But, but I think su success is that is being respected. Um, I mean, I, even though it is hard for me, I am, I am giving back to my community at this time, right? So I have a good weekend and I will earmark $100 to be able to use my local businesses for things that, you know, I might not necessarily 100% need, but I want to make sure that my neighbors have a little bit of an income too. They may be having more of an income than me, I don't know, but I want to show them that, that my support Um I also, you know, I just feel like if we can do that, if, if we can spend a little bit, keep it local, support our neighbors. Um, and to me, that feels successful. And I don't need everybody to know that. It's just something I do for me. Yeah. And I think about a lot. But I think that's just a really good core value is thinking about not only yourself, but how what you are doing is affecting your neighbors. And that's why for me, wearing masks is just a no brainer. And keeping things clean because I don't want my neighbor to have to close because of something that happened in my shop that's going to affect them too. So if my store closes, somebody else's store closes, and if all of a sudden we have a dead downtown, and then we're all in big trouble. So it, you know, being able to think about us and a we instead of just me, I think my mom would be proud of that, and I think that is more successful than having a huge bank account, uh, yes. which is nice. Um, cause then I really get the adventure van, but part of the journey of life is, um, is striving for that, you know, and it's yeah, sometimes, yeah. A lot of sometimes there's bumps, there's deviations and there's dead ends and there's backing up. And so if we can just be conscious about something besides just ourselves, we can, I think, go a long way. And I think if a lot more people did that, we'd probably be in a better situation than we are right now in the U S um, you know yeah and especially but, in this time just um, thinking about what you can do to help others um, especially others who are struggling is just such an important thing I agree okay totally. thank you so much and I'll put um, a link to your website in our description so everyone can check out your really really awesome jewelry um, I learned a lot especially along the lines of how your small businesses on in Bayfield, and of course your especially small business, is dealing with COVID and um, the Bajas. I didn't even know that existed until maybe a few days ago, which is so crazy. Thank you so much again. It's really my pleasure. I'm honored that you chose me to, to chat on about what I do. It's a pleasure to be able to uh, hopefully some uh, some uh, younger girls out there 
I especially like to empower the girls, uh, you know, maybe, you know, being independent and um, working things out for yourself. I love to be able to show that that's possible in our world. So um, if I can do a little small bit, I, I love it. I love yeah. it. Thank Thanks so much. Take care. Lots yes. of hugs. Beth, safe out there, okay? Of course, yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much, Lisa, for your awesome interview. Now it's time for the break, but when we get back, we'll learn how coronavirus can let us all let it out in Iceland. Hi, this is Pippa from the Daybreak Podcast, and I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about a company that me and my friend started late last year. It is called DNM Graphic Novel Library. This is how it works. So, if you go onto our website, which is in a link in the show notes, make sure to check that out, you can click signing up and choose your subscription type, either standard, which is $8, or premium, which is $13. Fill out a quick form. Um, of course, deposit your money for the month, and then you're done. So, what you get with this subscription is that you can rent out like two every week of our hundred or more like graphic novels and magazines. They're all super good and you can find something for every person. Maybe you've not heard of graphic novels before, maybe you have. It's your your call, whatever kind of graphic novel you want. But you're only allowed to do two a week. Then if you live in the Dungeon Monroe neighborhood, we will deliver a graphic novel to your door that you choose. And if you don't, then you can just come and pick it up at our home base. Also, if you come and sign up now, you get 15% off with a special code on our Facebook page that you can check out. Also, one more thing. Um, one graphic novel usually costs like $8, so this is a really good deal because you're getting like 16 graphic novels if you did two months for the price of two graphic novels, which is crazy. So make sure to check it out. If you've never heard of graphic novels, if you have, if you're really into them, this is the thing for you. Remember, it's in the show notes, and how you sign up is you click signing up on our website, and then you click standard or premium, and then you fill out the form. Thanks so much, and now back to the show. Hi, this is Pippa, and welcome back to Daybreak. During this turbulent time, have you ever felt like you needed to let it all out? To release your tension? To, well, scream? Well, as a recent study done by Promote Iceland found out, 42% of Americans agree with you, and reportedly confirmed that COVID-19 restrictions have made them feel like they want to scream. That same study also shows that 49% of Americans feel increasingly stressed, frustrated, and tense due to the recent coronavirus lockdown. I really thought more of us would feel this way, but science doesn't lie. Anyway, if you're one of those 42% and you really want to scream, why not do it? Well, it would probably disrupt your neighbors, for one. But maybe you would feel better echoing across the beautiful landscape of Iceland, right? Well, at least that's what Inspired by Iceland, an Icelandic tourism site, thinks. And they know how to get it out there in one of their seven locations in the Icelandic wilderness. Here's how it works. You go to their website and click the tap to scream button. 
and of course, scream, and then they'll broadcast it onto one of their seven locations via a very large speaker. You can even watch it live on their cameras, so you can hear the, your voice echoing off a canyon or traveling across the water, or maybe even startling a herd of reindeer, if your speaker is in East Iceland. For those of you who want to go screaming in Iceland, we'll put a link in the show notes for you to do so. This time is taking a toll on us, but there are a few perks, including screaming it out in Iceland. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Daybreak. For your hosts, Pippa Schrader and Bryn Campbell. And this week we had help from John Schrader, our trusty editor, Bryn Campbell, my co-host, and Lisa Fleming, who was our interview today. Also, birthday shout-out to Mia Campbell. Happy 14th! Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Daybreak. And until next time, keep on learning. Pippa, signing off. Thank you.